We felt like we were in a Netflix series. At that time, we thought, no, that's not possible. Then we found out that the suitcases had been filled with cash and that they were from Qatar. On the 9th of December 2022, Belgian police raided 19 different addresses across the capital, arresting eight people and seizing over one and a half million euro. Qatargate embroiled members of the European Parliament, their assistants, civil society and foreign governments, a corruption scandal that would rock the European Union to its core. If Qatargate shone a light on the murky waters of corruption, conflicts of interest and lobbying, 12 months later, can the EU honestly say it's cleaned up its act? From the left in the European Parliament, I'm Kira Bottomley, and this is Look Left, EU politics under the lens. Hello and welcome to another episode of Look Left. Today we'll be discussing Qatargate one year on, transparency and political integrity. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host, David Lundy. Hi, David. How are you doing? Hello, Kira. I'm all right. So before we get into the intricacies of the Qatargate scandal, let's turn to another Gulf country currently in the headlines. Yeah, so COP28 is the UN's annual climate talks where uh, political leaders get together. It's currently underway in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates and around the world people have been taken to the streets to demand climate action. Here's a clip from the demo here in Brussels. We think that it is very important to raise awareness among everyone, especially children, about the future of the planet and about leaders who don't always pay attention to what is happening. So we wanted to come with the children to demonstrate. Ordinarily, there would be protests happening outside the conference centre where the COP takes place. But this time, things are a little different, as protesting is usually forbidden in the United Arab Emirates. Yeah, this COP has been embroiled in controversy from the get-go. The appointment of oil executive Sultan Ahmed al-Jabbar as president of the talks, that's a man who says there's no science behind the uh, demands for a phase-out of fossil fuels. Which to anyone listening sounds a lot like climate change denial. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that it's become a major opportunity for lobbyists from the world's biggest polluters to try and greenwash their images with teams of lobbyists from ExxonMobil, from Chevron, Shell, BP, Total everyone you can name in the world of the fossil fuel industry. All of those people descending in their thousands uh, every single year to undermine the integrity of uh, these climate talks and attack any efforts to get something serious on the table to tackle the climate emergency. The mind boggles. And of course, closer to home, we had a similar fight in our hands when the European Commission greenlit the appointment of Wapka Hoekstra, the former Shell executive, to become its climate chief back in October. Here's what left MEP Sylvia Modic had to say during his hearing with MEPs. Mr. Hextra, I've been really listening to you without any prejudice, trying to listen to what you say. And your answers are not the problem here. It's the contradiction between your words here and your previous actions. Because we in the left, we believe that we should change the system, not the climate. And looking from the left, your track record presents the system. Working in oil companies, working at McKinsey, which is a leader in advising the most environmentally dangerous companies, is in so big contradiction to your words here, which I have liked. I have liked your answers. But you must see the contradiction yourself. This is a classic establishment cliche. Revolving doors between politics, big companies, consultancies, influence is power, money is power. And we saw that with our main topic of today, Yeah, it's hard to believe that it's already one year since the Belgian police raided the homes and workplaces of those allegedly involved. 
And in what can only be described as a coup, I would say, for their communications team, they did it on the very same day as the UN's International Anti-Corruption Day. Indeed, they couldn't have timed it better or worse, depending on where you're standing, of course. It's a day many of us will never forget. And in the lead up uh, to the anniversary of these extraordinary events, I spoke to left MEP Leila Shaibi, who has been actively campaigning on the issue of ethics and transparency in the EU institutions. I started by asking her where she was when the news broke. Qatargate is a kind of moment that everyone remembers. I remember it very well. We were in Strasbourg for a plenary session, a week in December, as once a month we go to Strasbourg with all the MEPs. It's the only time in the month when we all get together to vote on important texts. And that's when we found out, just like that, at an announcement in Brussels, there was a search at the home of a member of parliament. They found suitcases full of cash. And then we had dispatches arriving, news arriving. Then we learned that there is a second MP. And above all, what was shocking was that it came from the socialist group. That's when we realized that no, this isn't a Netflix series, and that in fact something really serious is going on here, and that there will be dangerous repercussions for the whole European Parliament, and that we're going to have to take this very, very seriously. So we thought, no, but did you see? So is it, obviously you identify with it. You think, well, there are some colleagues at the center of this case, so it could be us. You say, that's not possible. You're offered a suitcase full of cash and obviously you turn it down. These things seem obvious, but then you realize that they're not. And then right away, questions arise. How is this possible? How did we get here? I am a member of the AFCO Committee on Constitutional Affairs. We talk a lot about transparency, the relationship with lobbies and the way in which decisions taken by MEPs are influenced by private interest groups. And all of a sudden we're thinking, that there might be a link between all this. There is a difference between lobbying and corruption. But perhaps here, in the kingdom of lobbies, in the European institutions, the fact that there is no transparency at all, that there is so much lobbying which makes Brussels the second place in the world after Washington for lobbying, perhaps this is an open door that encourages corruption. The description of it being like a Netflix series is spot on. We were all glued to our screens watching this whole thing unfold on Twitter and in the media, with colleagues sharing gossip and theories. When you spoke to Leila, did you have the impression that she thought much had changed in the past 12 months? Not exactly. Let's uh, hear what she has to say. What happened a year ago was an electroshock. And we realized that even if the presumed guilty parties belonged to a single political group, we had to clearly denounce what was going on. Because if we didn't, all the groups would be tainted. For all the citizens of the 27 countries of the EU, the European institutions seem remote and disconnected from reality. And then on top of that, there was Qatargate. At that time, there was a lot of declarations of intent from the president of the European Parliament, from all the political groups saying, oops, we have a responsibility. And so we expected measures to be taken. Unfortunately, one year on, not much has happened. In September, three months ago, a new code of conduct to which parliamentarians are subject was adopted. 
This is a plus. But from my point of view, it's pretty damn ridiculous compared to what's at stake. Let's take two examples. The conflicts of interest. It's a very serious matter and one of the problems with Qatargate. You can't take a position on Qatar if you have a link with it. The problem is, what does this code say? It says you must declare conflicts of interest when you are working on an issue. But the problem is that you declare it and that's that. There is no prohibition. There is no ban on working on a case even if you are in a conflict of interest situation. The second example is the declaration of private interests and what we call side jobs. It represents some pretty large amounts of money. And our political group is calling for these to be banned during the term of office. What does this code of conduct, which was reformed in September, say about this? It says, we don't ban them, but you have to declare them. And you must declare if you earn more than 5,000 euros per year from these activities. That's about 500 euros a month. The problem is that you have members of parliament, for example, Guy Verhofstadt, who lectures us on morality in the AFCO committee and then earns up to 26,000 euros a month in addition to his mandate as an MEP because of his other activities. Or Jérôme Rivière, who is an MEP for the Rassemblement National, the extreme right, is the best paid French MEP and the fourth best paid MEP. He earns between 4,000 and 20,000 euros a month on top of his salary as an MEP. He earns 240,000 euros a year because he runs a company. We believe that this should be regulated. It's an ethical issue and it will limit corruption if we limit these side activities. So if we've just heard, not a lot more than good intentions and nice words. One of the big things, of course, that we've been waiting for is the Commission to propose its much-delayed ethics body to serve as an independent watchdog for all the EU institutions. Let's hear what Leila had to say about this. Big topic, the ethics body. It was announced by Ursula von der Leyen in 2019 at the very beginning of the legislation. Back to December 2022, Qatargate is still on the cards, but we're thinking, well, there's Qatargate, so that will speed things up a bit. In the end, the proposal was made by the European Commission in June 2023, and it was a truly inadequate proposition. What is an independent ethics body? It should be a body common to the three organizations of the European Union, the European Commission, the Council of the European Union and the European Parliament, made up of independent members and therefore not the most senior members of Parliament. For me, the European Commission's proposal in June was a provocation, an empty shell where we have members who are once again parliamentarians who have to give their opinion on what other parliamentarians are doing with no power of sanction, just indicative declarations and no obligation for them to be published. So it serves no purpose at all. It's just a way to clear your conscience, and I don't know how you do it with something as empty as that. As well as being on the Constitutional Affairs Committee, Leila leads for our group on the Platform Workers Directive, an important law that would reclassify gig economy workers like delivery riders and Uber drivers as employees instead of being falsely labelled self-employed. From the start, there's been intense lobbying from these big corporations on this issue. So I was interested to know whether Leila had been lobbied directly by them and how this kind of activity and interference is affecting the talks. 
Le lobbying est très, très, très intense de la part des plateformes. The platforms are lobbying very, very hard because they know they have a lot to lose. There is no obligation for MPs to declare their meetings, but there should be because that way it allows us to know how decisions were taken. With Uber, it's not so much a problem to meet them. Even I chase after the lobbyists from Uber and Deliveroo because initially they came to see me and now they don't really want to because they know whose side I'm on. The meetings I've had with the lobbyists have helped me a lot to find out what's going on in their minds. The problem is when they're opaque, when they're not transparent, and when they have an influence or even write the law. They put pressure on the negotiators without inviting any workers, but just with representatives of the platforms and fake workers explaining that the platforms are totally right. The problem is that they are trying to hide themselves. They have created some associations like Tech Alliance or Move EU. You don't see Uber when you hear Move EU, and that's the problem. Problem. I can claim to have helped build a counter-lobbying group of workers. When we organized meetings here with the group, the left, with workers from the 27 countries of the European Union, delivery drivers, Uber drivers, and they all put pressure on the commission. It's good lobbying because it defends the general interest, not the private interest, and also because it's done in a totally public, transparent and open way. The problem is that in the end, we end up with a law that is much more in favor of these private interest groups than in favor of the citizens, who are normally the people who elect the MEPs. Counter-lobbying is great. I remember when Leila brought in a group of platform workers to the European Parliament so that they could interrupt a closed-door meeting between MEPs and digital platform lobbyists, basically ensuring that they had a seat at the table. I think it's about balance, really. People are all too often shut out of what goes on in politics and the decisions taken that affect their lives. Big companies can afford to buy their way in. People and workers rely on good political representation to ensure transparency. Indeed, this was something I spoke to Shari Hins about. Shari is a policy officer at Transparency International EU and she leads on political integrity. I was keen to hear her views on how Qatargate has affected people's perception of the EU and what this means for the upcoming European elections. I started by asking whether she thought Qatargate was a uniquely Brussels problem. Qatargate was focusing on the European institution and the European Parliament in particular. And in Brussels, there is a lot of attention because it's the center of the EU decision making. Brussels is the second capital in the world in terms of lobbying activity after Washington DC. There are now more than 12,000 organizations in the EU Transparency Register. And our point of view is that lobbying is a part of a healthy democracy. But there should also be a level playing field, allowing to all kinds of actors to discuss and interact with the European institution, not only, for example, corporate or businesses. And in the wake of the scandal, there was a lot of emphasis from certain factions in the European Parliament that pointed to the fact that this was coming from foreign governments. But I think that's only one part of this story. The other part is how the House functions and all the loopholes and discretion because of a lack of proper oversight and procedures. I wonder if you have a view on this. Foreign or not, in general, interference is something that is there. There will always be some actors that will try to use the loopholes present to do undue influence. But the point is not really about this kind of actors, but the institution. If we don't have a system where there is monitoring, oversight and deterrence action, it creates this culture of impunity. What do you think about the role of whistleblowers in this case? And maybe the role of the media also, because... 
We saw that everything was revealed in Le Soir, in the Belgian national media, but it took the Brussels-based media a little bit longer to get to that. Yes, media, investigative journalists, they are playing a crucial role in undercovering this kind of, of scandals. In uh, terms of whistleblowers, I think this is a very good uh, and important point. At the moment in the parliament, the rules on whistleblowing are very weak and they are not up to standard compared to the directed on whistleblowing protection. And so when we read for the first time about the Qatar gate, we consider it the tip of an iceberg. Probably many Many actors uh, and many people inside the parliament saw something uh, strange going on there, but they probably did not feel comfortable to say about it and speak about this because uh, at the parliament there are basically very weak rules. I think there is a perception and maybe a fair one that these days politicians aren't always working in the interest of their constituents. What can and should governmental bodies like the EU be doing to improve transparency and accountability to their voters? There are many ways to address this issue, but if we focus on the European Parliament, for example, there is a big problem related to the side activities of, of members of the European Parliament. Some side activities can raise conflict of interest, and it's normal that, for example, if a member of the Parliament is working for a company on artificial intelligence and then he is working also at the Parliament on a file related to artificial intelligence, that there will be question marks on who is representing. So for us, a ban on side job would be a good uh, answer to this. In what way do you think that Qatargate is going to affect people going out to vote in the European elections next year? I think that the European institutions still have the time to send a strong uh, message to voters and to make sure that uh, people and citizens understand that they take Qatargate very seriously. With the parliament, the new rules missed the opportunity. They are not up to what the scandal was. And what we are going to ask now as Transparency International EU is also some kind of internal rules at the level of the groups, uh, the political groups, to send strong messages, because of course this scandal affected the credibility of the European Parliament, but also of the European institution as a whole, because normally people, uh, citizen, for citizens, it's very difficult to make the difference between uh, the different institutions and they see Brussels as a whole. So it really affected Brussels in general, and uh, I think it's very important to have a strong commitment to transparency, ethics and accountability, because uh, if this is not the case, uh, this scandal will only be a benefit for far-right groups that they will take this away to challenge again Brussels and, and the institution in general. So EU leaders don't have much of a choice, see that they open up this cosy world of connections and private networks to people and ensure that it functions democratically in people's interests with real mechanisms to keep the interests of the powerful at arm's length, or they'll just carry on fueling anger and strengthening those anti-democratic forces that are such a massive threat to all our rights. Yeah, I think people are apathetic and angry and that there are legitimate reasons for that. And that's the challenge really that lies ahead. It's about restoring people's trust in politics. And that's it for another episode of Look Left, the podcast from the left in the European Parliament. If you want to let us know what you think, feel free to reach out to us. We're always happy to hear from our listeners. A big thanks to our editor, Futura Dabrile from Boulet Media, sound design and mixing by Jeremy Bocquet, And until the next time, look left.